<laughs> Those are some great dad saves right there. And I can't help but thinking after I saw that uh, in the last service that uh, not only did the dad save those kids, but the dads are the ones that let those kids get in those situations in the first place. So, <laughs> good on you, dad. All right. Happy Father's Day. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And uh, today, you know, just publicly, what I wanted to do, I went on Facebook and I gave a shout out to my dad, Lonnie Howerton, and then uh, my wife's father, Randy Gordon. They've been uh, just incredible examples and, and uh, incredible love of a father towards me. And so for those of you dads in the house, I just want to say, you know, keep going, right? Good stuff and, and keep pouring love out. And uh, then I also wanted to give love to my own kids because without them, I wouldn't be a dad. So it's just an incredible gift to be a dad and, and uh, to have such a good heavenly father uh, who loves us as well. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. We are continuing our series on Philippians. We're actually going to wrap it up next week. It's a very exciting conclusion that we are building to, that Paul builds to. Uh, honestly, it's just a greatest hits kind of a thing uh, all through this book and, and really excited about uh, wrapping it up next Sunday. So please uh, plan on coming back and joining us then. And then if you'll recall, last week we uh, began in chapter 3. And we just found that it was too full, it was too rich, uh, the, the, the book is filled and overfilled with incredible content, and, and so we wanted to t take a moment, and, and we kind of broke last week's message into two weeks, and that's what you'll get the second half today, but it's just a reminder that we want to encourage everyone to be reading through Philippians on your own, in your own devotional life, that you would join us in reading through that. And so if you haven't jumped in, there's still time. This is a great week to jump in, and absolutely you can finish the whole book this week and really allow God to speak to you. We believe there's incredible value in gathering together as we open God's word, as we worship together corporately, as we study what it is that God has for us. We know God speaks to our hearts through situations like this at Overlake, but we also recognize how powerful it is to let God speak directly to our hearts through his word. So please take the time, pick up the challenge, and, and jump in. And then last week, if for whatever reason you weren't able to join us last week, uh, please, I would encourage you, go online and check it out because, uh, again, there's just so much rich content. But by way of review, let me just tell you what it is that we covered last week in chapter 3. We jumped in and we talked about the fact that we are free regardless of where we are, right, regardless of circumstances that, that we are, you know, working through, we are free in the Lord, where the spirit of the Lord deserves freedom. Then we talked about how we rejoice regardless of what's happening. And it's incredible to think that Paul was the one modeling these things, that Paul was the one modeling freedom even though he was in prison when he's writing these words, we know Paul was modeling rejoicing. He was able to live out of a posture of joy because he had such incredible trust in the Lord. So he's challenging the Philippians. He's challenging uh, us today in, in the church here at Overlake. Be free. Be joyful. And then he's modeling that for us. And then lastly, we talked about how we rely on Christ. We rely on Jesus regardless of what others say. No matter what other things that we've relied on in the past, no matter what other people are saying, we 
We don't reckon our value any other way, but just like Paul, we consider everything else worthless. It's, it has no value compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so that's where sort of the arc of chapter 3 has, has gone so far. And, uh, and then we just want to continue. So we're going to jump in in verse 10. If you have your Bibles, you're, you're welcome to open those and follow along. Obviously, the stuff's on your notes as well. It'll be on the screen. But verse 10, Paul says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. All right, let's break this down. The first phrase, I want to know Jesus. Well, how do we do that? How is it that we know Jesus? How do we get to know Jesus? And we've talked before, we'll talk again about how this is a relationship that we are in a relationship of love with our living Lord, our risen Savior. And so in a relationship, it's good to ask, well, how do you, how do you get to know someone in a relationship in general? And the answer is you get to know someone simply by spending time with them, by talking to them and by talking with them, by listening to them. And then if they send you texts on your phone, if they send you love letters, then you, you read those and you respond to those, right? And, and so in the same way in a relationship with Jesus, what we want to do is we want to read his word. We want to read his love letter to us. We, we want to read about him. We want to learn about him. And we want to spend time with him. Get to know him, talk with him, and listen to him. All of these things are valuable in the sense of this is how we know Jesus. You become what you admire, you become what you worship, and you are what you eat. So in this regard, you, you admire Jesus, and so you become like him. You worship Jesus so you become like him and you consume his word so that you allow yourself to digest it and it begins to change you and transform you from the inside out. And then Paul says that next phrase, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. You know, we talk about grace a lot at Overlake. We talk about how grace is that defining word that, that sets this following Jesus thing apart from all of the other religions, from all the other philosophies that are out there, this idea of grace. And, and we talk about it because as a pastor here, I just want you to know that I, I, I am so desperate for it. It's, it's the defining word. It's the defining concept in my life. And we talk about how grace is freely offered how it's lavishly bestowed, the grace of Jesus provided on the cross of Calvary, forgiving all of our sins, cleansing us, bringing us healing, right? We've talked about that a lot. But what Paul's talking about here is another side of grace. He's talking about the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You see, this is also an aspect of grace, we haven't earned this power. We haven't earned this strength. But it's true that the same power that conquered the grave lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And this is not on your own strength. It's not based on your own merit. It's a gift from God. If you're a Jesus follower, he has come and and he's decided to reside in your heart. And so that power is available for you. It's a power to overcome the, the circumstances in your life. It's a power to withstand the temptation in your life. It's a power to bring encouragement and healing and in, in, in the influence of Jesus in all of the different situations that God brings you to. So Paul says, I want that. I want to know Christ, and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And then Paul says, I want to suffer with him. Now, th- that's... That's something you won't find on an inspirational poster anywhere, right? And, and uh, you look at this. The book is filled with Paul's greatest hits, but this one, it never really made it on the greatest hits, right? I want to suffer with it. Maybe it's a typo. Maybe the parchment got smeared a little bit as he was writing. Maybe Paul meant, I want to supper with him. I, I, I'd like a meal, would you? Yeah. No, no. Listen to this. Paul might be the only one who was eager to suffer with Jesus. Although, you have to understand, Paul's pretty used to it by now. That, that Paul suffered a lot in his relationship with Jesus. He'd been beaten. He'd been thrown into jail many times before. And even these words, he's writing from prison. But you see, to Paul, the focus wasn't the suffering. The focus was the connection to Jesus, he felt, in the suffering. It was that he gets to suffer with Christ, and he felt that unity with Jesus because Jesus also suffered. And then Paul, though, he's looking through the suffering, and he's looking through the death, and he's looking toward what? The resurrection. He's, he's looking for that resurrection. He's looking for where the suffering and the death, it actually leads to this trajectory, and the trajectory is new life, eternal life in Christ. Three weeks ago, we had an opportunity as a, a church body. We honored together a pillar at Overlake Christian Church, a friend of mine named Mel Carruthers. And you might remember that. We, we talked about his long faithfulness. He'd been serving here at Overlake uh, for over 40 years. He was an elder here at Overlake for 40 years. He served in many different capacities. And we talked about some of the, the ways in which he served and gave and, and, and influenced others. Well, friends, he, he, he was able to be honored that day. We gave him a standing ovation, and he was in hospice care, watching online, surrounded by his family and friends. Well, in the days since then, he's passed. He's gone to be with the Lord. Last Monday, we had a chance to celebrate him at his memorial. And I asked the question, how many of you were influenced by the love that Mel had for Jesus? And almost every hand, hundreds and hundreds, went up. You see, the reason I bring up Mel is because Mel is living what Paul was talking about in these verses. See, Mel has suffered with Christ and, and has experienced the death that Christ experienced. And now Mel is with Jesus and he's with Paul and he's living the resurrection. And let me just say it very, very clearly. Resurrection is where this whole thing is leading to. In your life and in mine. Resurrection is the destiny of us all. And that's why it's so encouraging for us to lean into our relationship with Jesus, to press in to our relationship with Jesus, to to understand who he is, to know him, and to experience his power. Why? So that we would be connected with him as we suffer, when we die, whenever that is, and so that we might be raised to new life with him. Amen? 
Amen. Okay, that's our future. That's where we're going. Then he goes on in verse 13 and 14. These are so incredible, these verses. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Okay, what we see here, the truth that we want to pull out is that we press on regardless of our, pra- our past. We press on regardless of our past. And friends, this is truly inspiring. You will find this on a motivational poster somewhere. This is the Magna Carta. This is the manifesto. It's the foundation of what makes us followers of Jesus united in our faith. You know, a couple weeks ago, we looked in chapter 2 at what we called the Christological pinnacle, that, that amazing uh, creed that Paul was, was talking about when your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, and then it talked about these incredible truths of Jesus sacrificing and choosing humility and laying down his life, and therefore he's exalted above all, and at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you remember that? It's just that, that Christological pinnacle. Well, friends, this is that human passion pinnacle. This is that passion of a human perspective, how we respond to the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And let's just unpack it. He says, I'm not perfect. Can I get an amen, right? Nobody, look around this room. It is filled with imperfection. You, you know this, right? That it overlay, if you had to be perfect to come to this church, this room would be empty right now. I'd be the only person here. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding, right? No, I, 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 I'm absolutely with you in this journey that we are not perfect. We have not yet achieved that perfection. And so we recognize it. Part of that humility, by the way, is what unifies us as Jesus followers. We need a savior. And that's what Paul's talking about. We need a savior. I'm not perfect. He says, nevertheless, I press on toward perfection. You know, Paul told us in chapter one, when we achieve perfection, he told us when it is that this, this journey we're on will be perfected, and that's on that last day when we stand face-to-face with Jesus Christ. That, that's the future. All Jesus' followers are on. And in fact, at Overlake, we've even gone so far as to say that it's not about where you are right now. It's about where you're heading. Your position isn't as important as your trajectory. And so the question is, are you getting older and meaner? Or are you becoming more gracious? Are you becoming more kind? Are you being more filled with joy? Is love more and more evidenced in you? Are you more gentle in your dealings with others? Is more of God's fruit of his Holy Spirit being evidenced in your life? Is that the trajectory that you're on? Because, friends, that's the trajectory that I want and and, and that all Christ followers, that we want his character formed in our lives, right? So, no, I'm not perfect. Nevertheless, I press on toward that perfection. 
And by the way, I just want to say that I really love the chip night that we have at our Celebrate Recovery. I absolutely love it. And many of you are aware of a chip night. And even if you don't know Celebrate Recovery, you might be familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous. They do a chip night as well. But it's to designate different milestones of sobriety, designate different achievements along that pathway. And so, of course, there'll be a year or there'll be six months or the one-month chip, a one-week chip. But I've told you before, my very favorite chip of all is the one that's offered for someone. It's the 24-hour chip, 24 hours of sobriety, 24 hours of walking in the right direction. This is the trajectory that I have now begun. I am not perfect, Paul says, but I am pressing on toward that perfection. And then he says, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past, right? Forgetting the past. I turn from the sins that have tripped me up. I've turned from the shortcoming. I turn from the petty failings, and I choose not to carry them forward, but I joyfully name them, and I fling them at the foot of the cross. I choose to forget them there. See, I want you to look at the verse, and there's two verbs you're going to have to put next to each other. He says, I focus on forgetting. That's a little ironic, because the more you focus, the harder it is to forget, right? And so you have to do a little circle between those two, and you got to make something in your nose. What is he talking about? This is an active process. This is something that involves your conscious mind. You've, you've got to actually be intentional about this. You're saying, even the wounds that I've sustained, even the sins that have been committed against me, with the Lord's help, I'll forgive them. I'm going to invite his healing into these wounds. And I'm going to choose to unshoulder the burden. Even the ways I used to reckon my identity. We talked about that last week. Even the ways I used to get my own value. I'm going to lay all of that at the foot of the cross as well. This is not an absent-minded forgetfulness. It's not a, oh gosh, where did I put my keys and what happened yesterday? I don't know. You know, it's, it, it's not that. And it's not a burying of the past, pain or sin. It's not denial. You might remember a scene from The Lion King, Disney's animated film, where Simba learns a philosophy, Hakuna Matata. And Hakuna Matata means no worries. And so Simba uses that philosophy as a way to just ignore the past. And then there's this, uh, this baboon named Rafiki who shows up, and, and Rafiki teaches him an addendum to the Hakuna Matata philosophy. By, because Rafiki hits him over the head. And Simba says, ow, why'd you do that? And Rafiki says, it doesn't matter, it's in the past. <laughs> and Simba says, yeah, but it still hurts. And Rafiki says, yes, the past can hurt. So the way I see it, you can either run from it or you can learn from it. So what Paul's talking about is that second it's talking about learning. It's not just a pretended away. It's not just a, oh, I can't remember th those forms of denial that we employ. You know, when you try to bury something by denial, you bury a live thing. It's, it, it's a little bit like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. You can do it for a while. In fact, you could do it the whole time that you're in the water, but sooner or later, you're going to get tired of that, and you're going to let it go, and it's going to come to the surface. 
And that's what happens with past sins. That's what happens with, with thought processes, cycles of behavior that we've used to go to. If we don't deal with them, if we don't forgive what we need to forgive, if, if we don't ask Jesus to come in with his healing, if, if we don't confess what we need to for, confess, then all we're doing is we're just trying to bury something. It's going to come up again. So Paul's talking about a, a very active participation kind of a thing where we name them and then we put them at the foot of the cross, thanking Jesus that he has forgiven that sin, thanking Jesus that he has come and he's bringing healing to those wounds. And then we choose not to carry that burden into the new day. What Paul's trying to say is this. It's on the screen as well. He's saying, you can't start the next chapter of your life if you keep rereading the last one. And so here's what Paul says. Paul says, I, I used to get all my value from religion, but that's dead. That's past. That is nailed to the cross, and I leave it there, and I go into a new day. Paul says, I used to be the chief of sinners, but that's dead. That's gone. That's past. It's all nailed to the cross, and I will not carry it forward. What Paul says is, I look forward to what lies ahead, and what lies ahead is Jesus Christ and the end of my race and the prize of being glorified with him forever. Forgetting what is behind, my focus is ahead. I strive on, I strain on, I press on to grab hold of the prize of heaven that Jesus offers to you and me. Come on, somebody. Come on. That's good news. My greatest ministry can now be built out of my greatest weaknesses. It reminds me of the passage from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Where, where the writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, friends, you don't run a marathon with a fishing net tangled around your feet. It's just, it's not what you do. In fact, just the opposite. I want you to think about what marathoners do wear running shorts that are some of the lightest, shortest, most embarrassing articles of, clo of clothing known to man right? In fact, they're made to be hindrance-free. How, how many of you remember the dolphin shorts of the 80s? Anybody unfortunate enough to wear? No? No? We got a picture of some of that right there. You, you'll notice that there, there is more cotton in a bottle of aspirin than in some of these running shorts, and especially that poor guy's tank top right there. That just does not look fun. But see, the point is that when you're running a marathon, you drop the stuff that you're dragging along. You don't want extra burden. You don't want things to hinder you. And that's what sin does to us, right? That's what the burden of yesterday does to us. That's what the value of reckoning your worth based on anything other than Jesus does for us. It entangles us. It trips us up. So just cut it off, throw it at the foot of the cross, and forget it there. We've got mountains to climb, people. We can't be burdened down. Philippians 3.15, Paul continues. He says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. <laughs> uh, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. I just have to say I love Paul. There are some... There's some passages I just, I crack up sometimes. Look, look at what he's saying here. He's saying, look, if you disagree with me, you're probably not that mature spiritually. <laughs> and then he says, if you do disagree with me, 
God will show you I'm right. Right? I, I just love that. I, I absolutely love it. It actually reminds me of my buddy Matt. He has a book title that he'd love to write a book to fill. Uh, his title is, You're Wrong, You Just Don't Know It Yet. And I thought, oh, it's pretty funny. It's, it's kind of Paul's posture right here. And then he says, we must hold on to the progress we have already made. I memorized it in the NIV as a younger Christian. In the NIV, it says, let us live up to what we have already attained. And what Paul is saying, we've talked about this before, he's talking about the fact that salvation has already been offered to us as a gift. Jesus has given us salvation. We are saved. Now let's live saved. Right? The, the, the idea is we have been cleansed and we have been forgiven and we have been healed. And now, Paul says, now let's live that way. Let's live saved. Let's live healed. Let's, let's live in such a way that we're actually embracing this abundant life that Jesus has already bestowed on us. And then he goes on. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. If you're filling in the blanks, the next one is we wait regardless of how long it takes. We wait regardless of how long it takes. We wait not wondering if it will happen, if Jesus will return, if his kingdom is being established. Just the opposite. We wait with eagerness. We wait with confidence. We might wonder when it's going to happen, but we don't, we don't question if. No, no, we're expectant, we're eager, and we're confident that no matter how long it takes, his kingdom will come, his will be done, he will return. And, Paul says, we wait as citizens. Now, remember, he's writing to the church at Philippi. Philippi is in Macedonia. It's in, it's in northern Greece. And yet, the Philippians understood that they were citizens of the Roman Empire. And so, because they were citizens of the Roman Empire, and it was a valuable thing to be citizens of the Roman Empire at that day. Because now there's this whole host of rights and responsibilities that they have because not just that they were, you know, citizens of Philippi, but they were citizens of Rome. And they knew that the Roman legion would be dispatched to protect them and to ensure their safety if ever there was a need. Why? Because they were citizens of Rome. In the same way, Paul says, you are citizens of heaven. And because we're citizens of heaven, we have rights and responsibilities that we hold to just because this world is not our home. We're citizens of another realm, another kingdom. And there is a host of heaven that is on our side, that is encouraging us. We have the power of Jesus and, and the spirit of God to protect us and carry us through. So, so there's that, that similarity as well. We wait as citizens of another kingdom. And then Paul says, we wait for this. He says, he will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. I want to tell you that uh, I'm a little wounded today because um, yesterday we had an epic pillow fight slash wrestle match in the Howerton home. The Howerton Five, it was seriously awesome. Joy-filled, by the way, it was wonderful. There were no tears. It was, it was all just love and fun. But in the midst of that, and I won't tell you how this happened, um, my foot got crushed. 
and I, I'm going to go to urgent care right after I finish preaching to you, get a little x-ray, okay? So full disclosure, if you see me gimping around, th- there's a reason, my foot. Now, I feel like it's a reminder. Anytime I get hurt, it's a reminder. Oh, my body is a weak body. So sometimes, you know, when, when you don't have an injury, when things are all working well, you feel a little invincible, don't you? And then every once in a while, I think maybe God lets us get injured or lets us get hurt or sick. Why? So that we'll praise him for when the stuff's working like it's supposed to work. And, oh, okay, no, my body is weak. And there is a day when I'm going to have a glorified body. And, and God knows, I already have mine picked out. <laughs> I, want my, I want my physical glorified body to be like like our high school pastor, Pastor Connor Takada's body. Just, just this specimen, this epic. This, and, and then I want my glorified intellect to be like Pastor Gary Gonzalez. I want, I want his mind. Right? And, then, and then I want the facial hair, glorified facial hair of Pastor Josh McQueen. I just want that. And that's, it, it, I don't know how it works, right? I don't know, but God knows. I've already got my order in. But you just see that, that there's this expectation, that there's this gl- glory that's going to come. And then, and, and then we keep going. Uh, Paul says this. Now, I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. I don't know how you pronounce that. Syntyche, I think. Or, or uh, let's just, we'll just call her Sin. She's Sin. No, I'm, I'm sorry. This, it's just funny. It's a name that didn't really catch on in America. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. The fill-in here is we choose unity, regardless of our differences. We choose unity. You see, it's Father's Day, and Dad just wants the kids to all get along. And Paul is the spiritual father of this fellowship in Philippi. And, and so Paul's saying, hey, you guys have to get along. See, this was a thing. And the reason why you know it was a thing is because it was a big enough thing to travel from Philippi all the way to Rome in the prison where Paul was. He'd heard about this thing. And now he's writing back to them and he's saying, ladies, you need to agree in the Lord. You might remember that one of the very first conversations that Paul had when he was in Philippi was with a gal named Lydia. And Lydia was the first believer in Jesus in Europe. She was the first one to be baptized there in Philippi. She opened her home and the church got launched out of her home there in Philippi. So so Lydia was a prominent lady and there were other prominent women in this church plant and and they were disciplers and evangelists and they were hospitality and they 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 did all of these things Paul says they were co-workers and not just women there are men as well Clement and others Paul doesn't list their names but he says all of your names are written in the book of life he says there's unity in your faith here so because there's unity in Jesus there's unity in your faith please get along please agree and Paul doesn't say uh he, he, he doesn't say who's right or who's wrong. He doesn't say who's being mature, who's being immature. He doesn't tell them how this disagreement should end. He just tells them it should end. And it should end in unity, and it should end in harmony. 
And I love what he challenges them to. He challenged them to agree in the Lord, he says. That preposition, in the Lord. It reminds me of another challenge Paul makes to the church at Ephesus where he writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what he's, what he's arguing in both of these, he's saying, because you love Jesus, submit to one another. Because you love Jesus, agree with one another. This is the landing place. And we know this, friends. We know that so often, so much of what we get into arguments about, it's just not that important. At best, it registers as secondarily important. And unfortunately, churches have experienced division because of disagreement, secondary issues. Families have experienced division because of disagreement around secondary issues. Marriages have experienced division because of disagreement around secondary issues. And the truth is that there are myriad things that seek to divide us and to destroy us. But friends, Jesus' love is a primary issue. Jesus' love is a foundational issue. And Paul's saying because of a mutual reverence for Christ, it is best to submit and honor the unity found in him. You know, I, I, I'm going to ask to do a show of hands here. And you have to be just a little vulnerable. I'm going to also raise my hand because the question, of, of it, the, the answer applies to me too. If you're married here, raise your hand if you've ever had a time that you had been in an argument with your spouse. And, no, no, some of you are like, uh, that's not the full question. Uh, thank you, I appreciate you both. <laughs> oh, my buddy Andrews, me, it was me, that was it. I did it. No, here's the, here's the follow-up, and I bet you can still raise your hand. How many, of you, how many of you have ever been in an argument with your spouse, and the next day you're reviewing the argument, you cannot remember how the argument got started. Anybody? Yeah. It, it, it starts with such a secondary issue. It starts with such a, a, a random, minor thing. But you respond one way, then they respond the other way, then it kind of escalates. You get heated, and they get more heated, and it just goes up and up and up. And at the end of the day, it was just like a pebble in a shoe. But now you're at the brink of divorce, right? But it's just nothing. And, and, and Paul's calling it out. He's saying, look, in the Lord, would you just choose to agree? Because of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and his love for both of you, would you have submission to one another? It's just a challenge. And again, these are, these are really difficult things that Paul is arguing. But, but I will say this, that by the way, if you find it hard to submit to somebody in an argument because you know you're right, and you are certain that they're wrong, just remember that you'd be in really good company. Because that's what Jesus did when they falsely accused him. And if you are being punished or persecuted because you have chosen to take a high, humble road, just remember that you're in good company. Because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And Jesus, when he was lifted up on the cross, he prayed, not Father, smite them. He prayed, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And so the challenge is we pray for those who come at us. 
We pray for those and bless those who persecute us. We seek to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and to agree with one another in the Lord. And we do all of this because, friends, it's Jesus that we follow. It's Jesus who modeled this road for us, and it's Jesus who says this is the pathway to abundance and to eternity. And I just confess that we cannot do it without his help. We can't do it without his help. And so it brings us to the last feeling, that we land on love regardless. It kind of summarizes all the stuff we've been talking about thus far. We land on love regardless. We choose love because that's what Jesus has chosen for us. And there are always other options to choose. You could choose to be right. You could choose to increase your power. You could choose to prove you're smarter. But as we look at chapter 2, as we look at what Paul's challenge is, he says, I want your attitude to be that of Christ Jesus. I want you to choose humility. I want you to choose service, and I want you to choose love. No matter what the setting, no matter what the situation, no matter what the argument the option to land on love is always on the table. We can always choose love. And again, the challenge is, what is the trajectory that you want to be on? How is the whole arc of your life? You get to choose the pathway you walk. So are you seeing more love and joy and peace and patience evidenced in your life? Are you seeing more kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control manifest itself? Is there a joyful generosity increasing in you as you journey more and more with Jesus? See, friends, I know that's the challenge, and I know that's the trajectory that you want to choose. We can't do it without his help. And so I just want to encourage you that, that at every step in this journey that we keep coming back to the person of Jesus, our living Lord and our risen Savior, and say, Jesus, would you help us? Would you show us how to show love in this situation? Show us how to walk a road of humility. Show us how that we might, out of reverence for you, have unity with one another. That, that we need his help to live up to what we have already attained in him. So why don't we do this? Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes and let's ask for his help right now. Jesus, once again, we want to thank you. And we thank you right now because it is obvious that you did such an incredible work in Paul's life. And then through Paul's life, you did such an incredible work in the church in Philippi. And then through Paul's work to the church of Philippi, you're doing an incredible work through Overlake Christian Church right now. And we want to say thank you for all that. Thank you that you're the one who initiated this relationship. You're the one who has pursued us in love. You're the one who has poured your grace out over our lives. And I say that universally. Whether we recognize it or not, your grace has been lavishly poured out over us. Right now, we do want to recognize it. We want to say thank you for the forgiveness and the cleansing and the healing that you have offered to us. Thank you that that we can throw at the foot of the cross our sin, we can, we can invite you in for healing, and we can choose not to take yesterday into tomorrow because of the work that you've done on the cross. Jesus, we want to thank you for the way in which you bring us power. And we do ask that you'd show us how we might experience the power of the resurrection in our lives today. And lastly, Lord, we just ask that you'd show us how we land on love. 
You know this dark world. You know all of the ways that it's broken. You know all the temptations that we all have to lash out in anger or in fear. But Lord Jesus, we ask you to show us how we land on love, how we honor you, and how we choose unity as Jesus followers together. We just want to bring you honor. So we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.